We'll go ahead and uh, and get into it uh, this morning. If you would like to, I'm gonna I'm gonna start out uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. You can turn to Hebrews chapter 11 verses. I'm gonna read verses 8 through 16. This is gonna be my last message on this uh, this sermon series we've been doing called uh, Creature of Habit, and we've just been really focusing on. Good habits, bad habits, how they get us into a bind, because you're always trying to start that out in the beginning of the year. But specifically today, I want to speak to you about four habits from, from a, uh, four habits of a friend of God. I want to talk about Abraham's life, and I want to give you four habits of a friend of God. So we're going to start in Hebrews uh, chapter 11. We're going to read verses 8 through 16, and then we'll pray together. Beginning at verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning, and God, we just uh, we know that every time, every opportunity that we get together to worship you, to enter into your presence, God, and to hear your word, God, is a, is, is a chance for us to be transformed into the same image of Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that your word would come forth with power right now, God, that you would speak through me what needs to be spoken, because, Lord, you, you know all of our hearts, God, you know our our attitudes, our intentions, our motives, everything, Lord, and we just declare our need for you and, God, our need to hear your voice this morning. So open our ears, open our hearts, Lord, to hear what you're speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to talk about habits of a friend of God. Abraham is a very interesting character in, in the Bible. He's got a life unlike any other character in the Bible. And really, Abraham is the, is the guy, if you don't know, that's where everything really all begins, God calls Abraham, and he calls Abraham out from among his family, out from idolatry into true worship of the one true God, Yahweh. And Abraham has a son, Isaac, and Isaac has a son, Jacob, and Jacob's name becomes Israel, which becomes the nation of Israel that we know about. And of course, through his line, through Israel, Christ would come that would eventually save the entire world. So we go thousands of years back, and God says, look, i got a plan to save the entire world, and I'm going to start with one dude named Abraham. Now, it's so interesting because when we see what God did with Abraham, what God did with Abraham was he set up how we were going to have a relationship with God. Because Abraham was not under the old covenant. He was under a completely different covenant entirely. 
and it was a, is a picture of the covenant that God would give us in Jesus Christ. Now, there's three times in the Bible that it says specifically about Abraham that Abraham was called the friend of God. He was not just another regular dude. He had a relationship with God where God looked at him as his friend. And see, Jesus says the same thing about us in Scripture. Jesus says that I've not called you servants, but I have called you friends because a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have revealed to you everything that my Father has revealed to me. That's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us, right? And see, so in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, even in the book of Galatians, it says that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have all become sons of Abraham. Y'all remember the old song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons have Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So are you. Now let's just praise the Lord, right? Right hand, left hand. You're doing all all that stuff. But it was trying to teach us this fact that we are all children of Abraham and that Jesus Christ bore the curse of the law on the cross so that all of the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. So when we begin to look at his life, we can start to see some of these things, that all of the promises of God were given to Abraham and to his seed or his children. Now God says, Abraham, I'm giving all these promises to you and to your seed. And he says, your seed will be like the stars in heaven and like the sand on the seashore. See, because his seed was like the sand on the seashore because those were his earthly line. Israel. Physical Israel. But see, we're not born of him by by nature. We're not naturally of blood. But see, we were born of heavenly descent through faith. That's the stars that are in heaven. He said, you're going to have a natural earthly lineage and it's going to be the nation of Israel. But you're going to have a heavenly lineage and it's going to be all of the children of God that put their faith in Jesus Christ. And the blessing and the promises that I give to you is the same blessing and the same promises that I'm going to give to them. And see, he gives us justification by faith. He makes us right with God. He gives us eternal life. He gives us the promise of the Spirit. And all of the promises throughout Scripture in Christ have become yes and amen for us. But see, here's what I want to say is I think probably the best thing that God gives us is the simple fact that we have a friendship with God through Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater than that. We get caught up in a lot of things. We want a lot of things from God. We seek God for a lot of things. We believe God for a lot of things. I think sometimes, you know, whenever we talk about church, I used to go to church and the preacher would always get up and say, you know, I believe God's getting ready to do something in this place. Hallelujah. And I I used to think, you know, if God just showed up, I don't even care if he does do anything. I just want him to show up. I just want him to be in my presence. I want to be in his presence. Sometimes I don't even care if you come and do anything, God. Just show up and be in my midst and let me know that you're here with me and that I'm here with you. And see, Abraham had that kind of relationship with God, but it didn't always start out that way. See, what we read in in, in Genesis or or in Hebrews 11 here is, is it says, God says what I just read. It says that he was called out. And Abraham is called into a land. So God comes to Abraham. He says, look, Abraham, come out from among your people. I'm going to give you a sweet land, sweet property, right? You're going to come into this land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to bless you and make your name great. I'm going to do all these wonderful things for you. And this is Abraham said, yeah, boys, I'll go, I'll go. Because look, when God comes to us and gives us a promise, he said, look, I'm going to give you a car, a house, some nice land. I'm going to give you houses you didn't build. I'm going to give you vineyards you didn't plant. We, we start to think, man, that's going to be awesome. This is going to be some good stuff. I'm going to follow God. Amen. 
See, we, and Abraham's the same way. He's like, this is going to be good stuff. We're going to get some good land. We're going to come into this place. And it says that he goes out and he goes into that land. And you know what it says? It's so interesting. It says that on this process, on this journey, that he actually reached the land that God said he was going to inherit. It says he dwelt there. He dwelt in the land of promise. But it says that when he got to this land, his attitude was totally different. He gets to the land... And it says, here's what it says in verse 13 though. It says that these all died in faith, not having received the promises. Now that's interesting to me because it says that Sarah received the promises. She received, uh, she was able to conceive in her womb and give birth to Isaac after many years. And it says that they dwelt in the land of promise. But then it says that these all died in faith, not having received the promises. So, So what's this all about? See, on this long journey of faith, when God calls you into this journey as His friend, there are promises in your life where you begin to expect God. Because I'll be honest with you, a lot of people, whenever they come to God, when they start out in their journey, you may be honest with yourself, you may not be, but when they start out in their journey with God, a lot of times people are serving God because of what God can give them. Amen? And they start out, and Abraham's the same way. He's like, man, I'm going to follow this God because it seems like this God is going to be able to give me more than my father's gods are giving me, so I'm going to follow him. And then when he finally gets to the land of promise, it says this is the attitude in which he dwelt in that land of promise. It says they built tents, and they dwelt there as sojourners, as strangers and pilgrims. And it says that they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth, and they embraced it. And they embraced it. They said, look, this is not... So it's almost like he got to the place where God's promises were fulfilled. And he said, is this it? Is this all that I came for, that I was longing for, that I was hungry for? You, You ever wanted something really bad? You begged God for it. You prayed for it. And then all of a sudden it comes and you have it. And you say, man, this isn't quite what I expected. I thought it was going to be a lot better than this. See, during his journey of faith, As Abraham was walking out this friendship with God, he wanted one thing, but when he got to that one thing, what he saw was something far greater than any of the natural promises that God could give him. Abraham saw Jesus. And see, it says about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth because they were looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Somewhere along the journey of wanting all of these things that God could give us. See, I want you to understand there are two types of faith. There's a horizontal, there's a, there's a horizontal faith and there's a vertical faith. And the faith that Hebrews 11 is talking about, see, is the, is the vertical faith. Because a lot of times we're believing God to give us stuff right here on earth. God, give us that. We need that. God, we're believing you for a new pair of shoes and a million dollars. God, we're believing you for all of these different things. And you know what? Those are good things. It's important that we believe God for things in this life. But there is nothing more important that in our walk of faith, we get a glimpse of the eternal. We get a glimpse of what really matters. And we realize that everything on this earth, one day it's all going to burn. One day it's all going to perish. And the only thing that matters in our walk and in our journey of faith is whether or not we saw the invisible. Whether or not we saw Jesus. Whether or not we got a a glimpse of an eternal reality. And the scripture says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they got such a glimpse of this eternal reality that that when they got the promises, they said, we didn't even inherit the real promise. The real promise is yet to come. The real promise is Jesus Christ. They said that's the real promise. And for this, God says he was not ashamed to be called their God. 
He was not ashamed to be called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they lived in a world where everybody else is looking horizontal. What can God give me right now in the here and now? And they got to a place where they said, I don't care if God gives me another thing. Jesus Christ is enough. They got that in their heart. See, this is what Jesus is trying to do in all of our hearts. And we live in a world where even TV preachers and things, the only thing they want to preach about is the horizontal aspect of faith. What can God give us in the here and now? Wealth, health, prosperity, all of these things. And you know what? I believe with all of my heart that God wants to give us those things. But when we get so focused on those things and not God, it becomes idolatry. Everything breaks down. It doesn't function properly anymore. But whenever all of a sudden in our journey with God, we say, God, I know you've given me some wonderful promises. I know you've given me some amazing things. But the one thing that I want is Jesus. And I don't care if you ever give me another thing. You're enough. And I'm complete in you. And listen, this is what God is trying to do in our hearts at the beginning of this year. And I believe that if he can establish us in that, that God, if you don't give me another thing, if all we are is friends for the rest of my life, it will be enough. I am complete in Jesus Christ. See, he wants to establish us as the friends of God. And here's what I personally believe, that when our hearts are centered that way, he can begin to share things with us about the earth. I believe there's things that God will withhold from us until our heart is aligned with His. And until we are able to... Because look, if all I want is things on the earth, I'm not going to be a good steward of the earth. But if all I want is Jesus Christ and friendship with Him, He says, look, His heart is not rooted in this world. He's not of this world. In that case, I can begin to share with Him things I want to do in this world. See, but He's trying to turn our hearts. And, and along the journey, let me give you, let me give you four habits... Let me give you four habits from Abraham's life that, that we will find along this journey as well that's going to strengthen our faith. But you know, Jesus said in John 8, 56, He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he did see it and was glad. Abraham caught a glimpse of Jesus. He caught a glimpse of what Jesus was going to do. He understood the covenant that, that we were going to enter in with Jesus. But let me give you four habits from the life of Abraham that we can also uh, begin to see in our own lives, and it's going to bless us. And, and Genesis uh, chapter 14, verse 18 is where I'm going to begin. Now, Abraham's life, had, the story of Abraham had just sort of begun, and uh, Abraham's already old. When God called Abraham, he was 75 years old. And, and, and in Genesis 14... Abraham enters into this battle with five kings that have taken his nephew Lot captive, stole all their goods, and taken them away. So Abraham's like, no, nah, that ain't going to work. I'm going to have to go rescue my nephew Lot, and I'm getting back all his stuff. He takes 318 men with him, goes up against five kings, defeats these five kings, gets back his nephew Lot, gets all of the goods back, and as he's on his way back from defeating these five kings, here's what happens. Out of nowhere, in verse 18, chapter 14, verse 18, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, Brought out bread and wine. Now this right here is some deep stuff. Y'all ready for this? Y'all are. I can tell y'all are geniuses. It says, He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. And nobody's going to like this first habit, but it's tithing. Yeah, write, yeah, write that down. Praise God. Hallelujah. 
We love tithing. Everybody loves giving up 10% of their money. And let me break this down to you because, because a- a- Abram comes out and the first picture that shows up is Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek, a lot of scholars are just going to say that Melchizedek is Christ. At the very least, he is a figure of Jesus Christ. And we'll go on in Hebrews and it'll talk to you about that. But Melchizedek, it means king of righteousness, right? That's his name. And it show, he, he shows up out of nowhere, and notice what happens to him. Melchizedek comes up, shows up out of nowhere after he's defeated his enemies, and he brings out bread and wine. He's bringing out bread and wine because he is revealing to Abraham, he's saying, you know why you defeated your enemies? Because there's going to come a time that in the covenant that your children, your seed will have, that their enemies are going to be defeated because of the body that is broken on the cross and the blood that is shed on the cross. And the same way that Jesus sat with his disciples and he said, and he broke bread with them and said, my body which is broken for you. And he poured the cup and he said, my blood which is shed for you. This is the new and everlasting covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Melchizedek is offering him that same covenant at that point. And he blesses him there. Right? He blesses him and he brings out the bread and wine because in Jesus' body and in Jesus' blood, what you need to understand is that Jesus has already vanquished all of your enemies. We are not fighting, Donald said it this morning, we are not fighting for, for victory. We're already fighting from a place of victory. Jesus has already won the battle. Sin, sickness, disease, Fear, torment, all of the powers of darkness have already been defeated on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus is simply saying, look, take my body, take my blood, and I'm inviting you into this life that I've died for you to have. I'm inviting you into this new creation. I'm inviting you into my very life. I'm inviting you to be filled with my spirit. And would you receive that? And he blesses him there. He places the blessing on him there, and, he, and he, look, look at what he calls God. He calls God the possessor of heaven and earth. In other words, he's trying to get you to understand that you think you own some things on this earth. You think when you win some spoils, because, you know, the king of Sodom comes up to Abraham and he says, look, you, you can take all the spoils. You know what Abraham says? He says, I won't take so much as a thread to a shoe latchet, lest you should say that you made me rich. Because what he's saying is, look, God is the possessor of heaven and earth. And if anybody is going to give me abundant life, it ain't going to be accredited to no man. God Almighty is the one who controls all things, has all things, has an abundance of resources and all provision in the world. And he's the one that if I'm going to be made rich, it's going to be him that does it. It ain't going to be because I'm striving for worldly and earthly things. It's going to be because I've chosen to be not of this earth and I've put my, my faith in a different economy. Amen? So he responds, look at this, he responds to the gift of God in Jesus Christ through the bread and wine with tithing. It says in in that verse, that last verse, it says that he gave him a tithe of all. Now for those of you who don't know what the tithe is, it's 10%. Everything that comes in, I give God first fruits, 10% throughout Scripture. Now a lot of people say, I've heard a lot of people come to me and say, well you know, the thing is y'all teach tithing and it's not in the New Testament. All right, I'll listen to that for a minute until we find out that's not true. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, let's look at some of these verses. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, 
To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Right? This is, and then he says, without father, without mother. Now, who you know that's a human being that ain't got no father and ain't got no mother? I don't know anybody. But he's saying this guy, who's a priest, had no father, no mother. And, and then it says, neither beginning of days nor end of life. That means he's an eternal being. And it says, but made like the Son of God remains a priest continually. Because the argument that he's trying to set up right here is that in the old covenant, men came and gave a tenth to the Levite priesthoods, priesthood, and the priesthood received their 10% as a commandment from God. Let me tell you something. In the new covenant, the tithe is not a commandment. The tithe is a privilege. It's a totally different way of looking at things. You're not going to be cursed because you don't tithe because Jesus took the curse. But you're not going to be able to come up under God's economy without doing it. And you do open yourself up to the world's economy, which is subject to the devourer. That's what the, that's what the Scripture teaches. So, so he says... So he says, he's made like the Son of God remains a priest continually. Let's skip down to that next verse there, verse 7. It says, now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. That means we're blessed by him. Then he says, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, yeah, we don't tithe like the old covenant folks tithe. Because when we tithe, we're tithing like Abraham does. And we're not tithing to a Levitical priesthood that if we do it, we're blessed. If we don't do it, we're not blessed. No, it's no longer a commandment, but it's a privilege. And it, is, it, it enables us to come up under God's lordship and under his blessing and under his favor. And he says, look, when you give your tithe here, mortal men receive it. But when you give it, he says, guess what? There he receives them. And it says when he receives them, something happens and the blessing of the eternal priesthood is unlocked. And that blessing and that favor of the eternal priesthood comes upon your life. Because let me put it to you like this. You, we are trained by this world system so much so that actually the one thing that competes for, uh, with us for God is money. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. Either you love one and hate the other. You, you know, he, he says that's how, it's going to be a war that's going on. You cannot serve God and wealth or God and money or God and mammon. It doesn't work. But he says what you need to do is understand that I operate under a different economy. Because this world system says you need to get as much as you can get and keep as much as you can get. But the God's kingdom says you need to give as much as you possibly can so that you might receive. It's a totally different way of doing it. The world says store up and become a pool. God says become a channel that I can flow through. And whenever you give the 10%, it is a declaration of the lordship of Jesus Christ that we're coming up under his blessing and that when we give him that 10%, he is able to effectively do with the other 90% what he needs to do and give us the increase that we need. But let me tell you something. And here's what I believe. I believe that God has been desiring to give us. We live, we live in one of the poorest counties in the nation. And if we think naturally according to the world's standards, we can immediately put limits on what can be done here. Say, so, well, we just ain't got the finances for that, you know. But what I want you to understand is that God says that doesn't move me. Don't you understand that I am the possessor of heaven and earth? And if you will start to think according to my economy, and you will start to be wise with your finances, then, you, then I will bless you because my intention, and this is throughout Scripture, is that you would be a lender and not a borrower. 
That you would be the head and not the tail. That you would be above only and not beneath. But let me tell you something. Your financial gain or your financial progress is not for your kingdom or for your own selfish advancement. Your financial gain and progress is for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And when that is where your heart is centered, all of a sudden it opens heaven. Matter of fact, Malachi 3 says, test me in this. It's the one thing that God says you can test me in. He says, bring all the tithe and the offerings into the storehouse. He says, see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you do not have room enough to contain. You know, last year, we started the Daring Faith campaign. And, and uh, Andrea and I, we've been tithing since, since I became a Christian. I, 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 I saw the principle in Scripture. I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. I started giving 10% of every single thing that came into my life and, get, and giving offerings wherever God said, you need to give here, you need to give here, you need to give here. I started doing that. So when we did the Daring Faith campaign at the, at the, uh, back, back this year in June, we, we made pledges. Andre and I gave a big lump sum uh, in faith that we thought God asked us to give. But not only did we do that, we increased our tithe a certain percentage. And, and since that time, we look back at our finances, we keep track of everything. We try to budget. We try to operate wisely. We're not the richest people in the world, but we've always had more than enough without, without doubt. But as soon as we, st- we increased our tithe, listen, whatever we gave, and we checked our finances of everything that went out, we were giving somewhere over 20% of our income total. And once we, once we, get every, we, we made far more back this year since that time than we actually gave out in miraculous ways. Look, I have $15,500 in debt, and, 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 and someone paid for that out of nowhere. Now look, and I'm not saying that for any other reason than to say, look, I believe that God knows with all my heart, my, my goal is not to become rich in this earth. It's not. I don't make big money. I don't pursue big money. I try to give my life to Jesus. But what I understand is that He is my provider, and He's taught me that over and over again. And I believe that no matter what my job says I make, He is the possessor of heaven and earth. And if I will submit to his economy, I believe that he will bless me, not so that I can become rich, but so that his kingdom will be advanced. And when our heart is centered on that, I believe all of a sudden something opens up and Abraham understood this habit and he put it into his life. And listen, I think it's an act of worship when you give your tithe. It's an act of worship when you give an offering to, to, to ministry overseas, to, to certain things like that. It's an act of worship. And when you do it, Andrea says it all the time. I don't care if somebody gives us a gift card. She'll write it down because she, said, she knows. She says it all the time. You can't outgive God. And whatever he brings into us, immediately we're giving back. And when you enter into that process, something changes in your life. Something changes mentally. It opens God up to bless you. You believe that? Listen, I believe the person that can receive that as a friend of God, that something's going to happen in their life this year. I believe that with all of my heart. The second thing, the second habit, let's get into that, is holding on to God's promises. I'm sure I offended about 10 people on speaking on tithing this morning, so bless you this morning. Praise God. Nobody, you shouldn't be talking about money in the church house. Jesus talked about it all the time. It's a big part. It's a big part of our, of our Christian life because if we're enslaved to, to money and things and if it's the one thing that we can't let go of, we're going to be in bondage to it. So... The second one is holding on to God's promises. So Abraham, he's living this journey now. As soon as he gets done with this and he gives uh, Melchizedek the tithe, the 10%. Now, what you need to understand is that when God called Abraham out in Genesis 12, or at this point his name was Abram, which meant exalted father. 
God would later change his name to Abraham, which meant father of many nations. And I would have been like, God, is this some kind of sick joke? This is why, because he waited, you know, God said, you're going to have a child. And he told him that at 75 years old. You know how long it was before he actually had the child? 25 years. He was 100 years old when he had the son of promise. And when God changed my name and said, you're no longer exalted father, you're the father of many nations, I'd have been like, yeah, right. Appreciate that, God. Here I have been waiting 25 years for a son. You ain't give me one yet. He's struggling with it. You ever, sometimes we struggle with holding on to God's promises, don't we? Sometimes we struggle with holding on to what God has promised us. And God had given the, him these promises about how he was going to be a blessing and that all of the families of the earth would be blessed through him, that Christ would come through his seed, that the Spirit of God was going to be poured out on all the nations because of him. But here's what I want you to understand is that your faith, in order to be anything or valuable in any, in any sort of way, your faith must absolutely be tested. God will not allow your faith to not be put to the test. The Scripture says that even though you're going through trials and struggles right now, He says the genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold. That when we come before God, the one, thing, one of the things that He's going to look at in our heart is whether or not our faith stood the test and was able to persevere during difficult times. And see, your faith is going to be tested in fire and God is allowing it to be tested on purpose because He's not just interested in giving you what you want right now. He's interested in growing your faith so that you will become more like Jesus Christ and ultimately you will be the answer to prayer to somebody else. He's looking to change you while you're walking this journey of faith. He could have said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a kid. Boom, you're pregnant. But, but He didn't. Why? Why? Because he was more interested in making Abraham a friend than just giving him what he wants every time that he wants it. God, look, God desires to give good gifts to his children, but he will not give good gifts to his children at the cost of them not developing into his ultimate plan for them. He got a plan much bigger than what you want right now. And you have to be willing to submit to that plan. You got to be yield, yield, willing to, to, to yield to that plan. And during the process, you have to hold on to the promises. Because Satan is after your faith and he's after the promises. As soon as he leaves Melchizedek in, in chapter 15, I'm going to read several verses here. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. He's saying, Look, I know you're looking for reward, Abram, but you want to know what your reward is? Your reward is me. I am your reward. And I am your shield, and I'm going to protect you. And Abram, now Abram does what we do. He, he goes into some complaining. He says, well, all right. Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? I love that. Lord, what will you give me? That's his first response. That's what we do, right? What are you going to give me? Prove it. You ain't give me nothing lately. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. At this point, Abram, 75. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. He's saying, Look, your, your descendants are going to shine like light in the darkness. They're going to be like the stars of heaven. 
He says, your descendants are going to shine. But it also says that word actually where it says count the stars is actually the word interpret. And a lot of scholars will say that when he looked to the stars, he saw the virgin giving birth to a king that would one day trample the dragon's dragon underfoot. He saw the gospel in the stars. And he saw that that was the process. And what's so interesting is the very next verse, and it says, and he he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Verse 6 says, and he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. See, what you need to understand is that in the new covenant, most people are still trying to earn their way to heaven. we got to work this thing out. But the scripture says you're not saved by your works, but you are saved by grace through faith. That means that when you put your faith in the gospel that Jesus Christ has vanquished your enemies, He took your sin upon the cross, He took your shame, your pain, your rejection, and He is offering you eternal life and forgiveness. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know what happens? He imputes it to you for righteousness. He's saying you get the same gift that Abraham got. It's accounted to you for righteousness. You enter into this new covenant. You enter into this blessing. And he gives him that. And then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these things to him and he cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. See, because here's here's what I want you to understand about salvation. is It's a journey. It starts with God saying, you are forgiven. You are righteous. You are holy and blameless in my sight. You are justified. It starts at that point of faith. But that's when the journey begins. And you can't just say, because a lot of people say, well, you know, I said a prayer when I was 10 years old and I'm saved. I believe. I believe in the Lord Jesus. But they're not living a life of faith. They're not continuing in faith. They're not walking out the journey. And see, what God is saying is that if you want to see my promises fulfilled in your life, it's going to take a sacrifice. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you. To see God transform your life, to see God transform the lives of people around you, it's going to cost you something. You have to begin to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And Abram makes this sacrifice, and he's believing God for his promises. But guess what happens? Every time God gives you a promise and says, I need you to believe for this, or maybe there's just something you're believing for you in your own life, that last verse I read, it says, the vultures came down on the sacrifice, and he had to drive them away. Now, what I want you to understand is that your faith is absolutely going to be tested without fail. It's going to be tested. Whatever you're believing God for right now, you need to understand that there's going to be enemy. Throughout Scripture, the birds of the air, the the blackbirds of the air, the vultures, all of these things, they represent demonic powers. When you have a word of promise in your heart, Jesus even said, He said, some word is sown by the wayside and the birds of the air come and steal it away. You ever heard that? See, he says, the vultures, Satan is going to come to bring doubt, to bring frustration, to say, if God was really going to bring this to pass, why is it taking so long? He is going to try to question every single thing to take your sacrifice off the altar so you will quit holding on to the promises of God. But God already foreknew that this was going to be a battle, it was going to be a process, and He was going to shape you in the process. That's why He said, you need to follow after those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Just because the promise ain't here yet does not mean that it's not coming. And in the waiting, what the decisions you make are essential. In the waiting. How many of you would you say, yeah, I'm waiting on God to, to fulfill a promise in my life? 
I'm waiting on God to bring this thing to pass right now in my life. And I'm struggling with it. A lot of people struggle with it. A lot of people struggle with the process. But I'm telling you, if you can believe it, something far more beautiful is happening in the process than if you were to receive the answer right now. You just can't see it. We get caught up in the flesh. Abraham, Abram got caught up in the flesh. For a minute, he doubted God. He questioned God. These vultures are coming at his sacrifice. The devil is giving him down the road. He's saying, why are you believing God? Nothing's happened. It's been this long now. If he said you are going to have a child, surely you would have had a child by now. It's been 10 years. Surely the promise would have come to pass by now. And he's just giving him down the road. And you can imagine all these thoughts. What is it they say? They say, you know, you can... You can't do nothing about a bird flying over your head, but you can keep it from setting up a nest there. And you've got you to guard your mind. You've got to stay focused. Because as this is going on, Abraham gets a little bit down. Sarah, his wife, gets a little bit down. She's like, well, here's what we're going to do. You go in there into my maidservant, and you have a child with her. So they do. Abraham, he, he gets in the flesh, goes into to Hagar. Hagar has a son named Ishmael. God says, no, that ain't the one. Because what God wants to produce in your life is not by flesh. It's not so you can say, I did it. I got it done. What good would it be if you're waiting for a promise and then you make it happen and now your faith is nothing because now you are becoming self-dependent and you're saying, look, anything I need in this life, I can take care of it, I can get it done. I asked God to do it, He didn't do it, so I'd take matters into my own hands. But whenever we wait upon God and upon the promise, and he says, look, I'm going to bring the promise to fulfill, pass. And let me tell you something about God. What's so awesome about God is he gives you promises that are impossible in your natural strength. Because if you needed to have hope and faith for things that would probably happen, it wouldn't be hope or faith. Because they're already going to probably happen. He's saying, I'm trying to stretch your faith. I'm trying to bring you into a, into a greater place. And while you're waiting on the promises, do not slip into the flesh but hold on to the promise of God. Stay in the Word of God. Believe the Word of God and let God bring this thing to pass. That's the second one. Here's the third one. Here's the third one. The third habit that Abraham began to walk in was, uh, was fellowship. Fellowship. Now, fellowship is, is, a, is a fancy Christianese word for the exchange or sharing of life in loving communication and oneness. Right, it is. I'm sharing my life with a person. They're sharing their life with me. I'm in fellowship with them, and I'm walking with them. And in chapter 18, by this time, now, now a lot of years have passed by this time. Now Abram or Abraham is 99 years old. He started out 75. At this point, he's 99 years old. Has he had a, has he had a child? Has he had Isaac yet? The son of promise? Not yet. No. It's going to be one more year. And it says in in, in chapter 18, verse one. I'm going to read verse 1 through 5. It says, Then the Lord appeared to him. Once again, he's in this friendship with God. The Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. So you see these three men. Abram looks up and it says, and the Lord appeared to Abram. But when the Lord appeared to Abram, he saw three men. Now there are, there are several different things that could be taking place here, right? 
One, one, one group of people will say that, well, it was Jesus that appeared to him and there were two angels with him. Now, some people say when the Lord appeared to him, they appeared to him in the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three men, right? And he saw that. Now, what you have to understand is that God created us in his image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They eternally existed in fellowship with one another. In fellowship with one another. There were one God, three persons that were in this constant outpouring of love, communication, and oneness. Now, and when, when he comes in, what, what, you want, what you want to see about this, and this is the Christian life, and I think we miss this maybe more than anything right now in the Christian life, because so many people are actually convinced that they can live the Christian life apart from fellowship with other believers. Have you noticed that in our generation? We believe that everything we receive from Jesus and our walk with Jesus is just this personal thing. It's just between me and Him. And it's not really important if I'm connected with other believers because it's just about me and Jesus. You could never be further into error than you are right there. God designed us in His image to be in constant communication and love and oneness with one another. But the problem is is that we're fallen and we don't exist that way. We have divisions and jealousies and schisms and all these problems. And God is saying, but I'm restoring you to this place. And Abraham was a friend of God. And it starts with our relationship with God. Abraham invites him in. He invites him in and he shows him hospitality. You guys know any people that are hospitable? When you come into their house, man, they're just generous, they're warm, they're welcoming. When you go to their house, you just feel like, man, this is the place that I want to be. This is how Abraham was. He had had developed this love for neighbor, this love for God, that, listen, he, he loved the presence of God. God shows up, he says, listen, don't pass by, don't pass by, Lord, come on into my house. I'm going to wash your feet, I'll get you something to eat, come on into my, are we that way about the presence of God? When we come into church, are we that way about the presence of God? Are we about, Lord, don't pass by. Come on into our house right now. Let us wash your feet. Let us give you something to eat. See, and this is exactly the mirror image of what has to happen in small groups. For no other better practical way to put it. And it's not even small groups. It's in your home. It's in your relationships with people. He's saying, look, you have to be intentional. Look at how intentional Abraham was. He says, come on in. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to clean you up so that you can be at rest and refresh. Because look, we need to be with a group of people in our lives at some point every single day and every single week of our life where we are washing one another's feet in the Word of God. We are washing one another's feet in the Word of God. We are refreshing one another and keeping one another at rest. Look, we're not here to be burdens to people. Abraham said, he said, you're going to be a blessing to people, not a burden to people. And then he says... And let me go fix you something to eat so that you can be strengthened and you can be refreshed. In other words, every single person in this building, God has given you a gift to share with the body, to edify the body. Your Christian life is not so much about what you can consume as what you can offer to others so that they can be strengthened in the faith and they can be refreshed. We believe in spiritual gifts, but I'll I'll be honest with you, the best context for spiritual gifts to happen is not so much right here in a corporate setting as it is throughout our daily life when we're walking with other believers in community. That on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, I'm giving my brother a word, I'm washing his feet, I'm strengthening him, and I'm meeting with him and praying with him and encouraging him. He's saying, look, this is the life of a Christian. you got to become hospitable. When's the last time you invited somebody to your house? Come and eat with you. You know what I'm talking about? It's a good word. Y'all are amening me so good this morning. See, 
Then we're going to shift into this last one, this fourth one. He gets, he gets done with all this, and he's, he's talking. That, look, he is in, he's in this intimate place with God. Where, where Throughout Scripture, when it calls Abram the friend of God, it's based on this passage of Scripture right here in Genesis 18, that he's having intimacy with God. He's sitting down and eating with God. He's sitting down and, 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 and ministering to these men. He's taking time to be in the presence of God. And let me tell you something, that's the greatest habit you're ever going to get into is to take time to be in the presence of God, to hear God, to sit at Jesus' feet and to hear His Word. And as He's doing this, now all of a sudden He gets a word. And that the, the Lord says to him, He says, Abram, where's your wife Sarah? Where's she at? He said, well, she's back there in the back room. And He said, I'm going to return to y'all about the time of life. In other words, He said, in nine months, y'all going to have a baby. It's a good word, right? Especially when you've been waiting 25 years. Nine months, it's up. You've went this journey. You've went through the process. I've refined you to a place where you've known about my love. And Abraham, I believe you're at that point right now where even if I didn't give you another thing, you'd be content. You just want to be in my presence. You're happy to be my friend. You know me and I know you. And so at this point, I want to say the process is over. The promise is coming to pass. In nine months, you're going to have a child. You know what Sarah did over in the background? She went... (laughs) She giggled. Lord said, did Sarah laugh right then? Sarah said, no, I didn't laugh. <laughs> I mean, that's what happened. You can read it. No, I didn't laugh. That wasn't me. And then in verse 14, you know what the Lord says to him? Why'd you laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? What are you believing God for right now? You think it's too hard for the Lord? Maybe you just got so caught up in the process of it and it taking so long that you got your eyes focused off Him and you got your eyes focused on what you don't have. He said, no, stay focused on me. Stay focused on the promise. Be in fellowship with one another. Let me strengthen you and encourage you. Let me give you your word and hold on and press through and continue in this journey because if you will wait and if you will continue, the promise is going to come to pass. He says, look, it's going to come to pass. And then we switch into this last habit. Number four is intercession. Because at this same point, in this same stream, all of a sudden the Lord is still standing there with Abraham. And these two men that have been eating with him, whether they're angels or whatever they are, they head towards Sodom. And God has got it in his heart. He says, you know what? I'm about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And let me tell you something. I don't blame God. You can read in history about what Sodom and Gomorrah did. One of the things that they had was it was legal to publicly rape someone. That's messed up, folks. But we live in a world today where it happens all the time, whether it's legal or not. People are abused. People are mistreated. They would, hang, they would rape people and then hang them up on a cross and cover them in honey and let bees sting them to death, according to history. So God says, yeah, I've had about enough of that. I'm going to come and bring judgment on these people. But see, the problem is, is that Abraham is now a friend of God. And God knows that Abraham's lot, nephew Lot, whom he loves, is in that same place over there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And here's what, here's what he says. Now, y'all know intercession is praying on behalf of others. If you didn't, that's what it is. Intercession is standing in the gap and praying for others. See, Abraham had been in training. He had been growing in his faith. He had learned to hope against hope. And he'd been in this process 
and, and, and all of a sudden it comes in verse 16. It says, Then the men arose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Now, I want you to understand something. God is saying, He is my friend. Shall I hide from him what I'm doing? In Amos chapter 3, verse 7, God, the Scripture goes on to say that surely the Lord God will do nothing except He reveals it to His servants, the prophets. Let me tell you something. God is sovereign over all things. He is in control of all things. But at the same time, every single thing that happens is not His will. And on the earth, He has given man a measure of authority so that our prayers affect things in the earth. Our prayers change things. And let me tell you something, it's not so much about that our prayers are changing God's mind, even though if you read this, it looks like He's trying to change God's mind. What God is saying is, look, justice has to be served. I have to bring judgment in this area because these people have decided to align themselves with Satan. They've aligned themselves with Satan, they've aligned themselves with evil, but I have to share this with you, Abraham, because I want you to pray about this. I want you to know what's going on. And let me tell you something. When you become a friend of God, when you spend time with God, I'll tell you why people don't intercede and pray for others. Because they've not spent time with God in the first place. Y'all agree with that? Because when you begin to spend time with God, all of a sudden God begins to share His heart with you. And he begins to, He's looking for someone to share His burden with. He's looking for someone where He can say, Look, I got this person in my mind, and you see them every day. I love that person. And they've aligned themselves with some things that are destructive and dangerous. But I've given you authority, and I've given you power, and I want you to come into agreement, and I want you to begin to pray that my will would be done in their lives on earth as it is in heaven, that their eyes would be opened up, that they would see the truth, that they would come to repentance. Because the Scripture says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Scripture says is that God, God literally calls us into intercession because His will and His desire is that all would be saved. That's what He's saying. So He's saying, would you believe that way and begin to intercede and pray with me on behalf of the souls of men who are lost in darkness and lost in sin and broken and who don't know God, that their eyes would be opened and that they would come to repentance and to the acknowledgement of the truth. That they would come to know Jesus. See, one of the things when we begin to pray and fast, I personally believe that God wants to bring breakthrough in our lives in all of these areas. He wants us to begin to advance His kingdom and, and come into His abundant resources. He, I believe that there's promises that people have been holding on to for years and they've not come to pass. And this year, when your heart is centered vertical on Jesus Christ and being content in Him, things are going to begin to unfold and come to pass. I believe that God is bringing uncommon unity I believe that even tonight as a man that preaches from a different denomination than us. Look, there are people all the time arguing about whether or not you're a Calvinist or an Arminian or whether you're, not, you're this or you're a Baptist or a Pentecostal. Those things have got to come down so that we can unite together and get focused on the one thing that matters and that is the salvation of men and women in this earth. That they would come to know Jesus Christ. Yeah, we may believe things a little bit differently. Probably everybody in this room believes something a little bit differently. But at the end of the day, we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we believe that He's died on the cross for men and women to come to faith in Him and be saved and inherit eternal life. Amen? 
And I believe that we can set aside differences long enough to engage one another and love one another. You know, there's throughout history, people talk about heretics and heretics over the smallest thing. Let me tell you something. Well, how come it is that when we don't love one another, nobody calls us heretics? That ought to be the greatest heresy in the church when we don't love one another. People won't talk about heresy being believing in the spiritual gifts or something like that. That is the goofiest stuff. How about loving one, not loving one another being heresy? He's bringing Abraham into this through this journey. Verse 22 through 25, I believe. See, what you'll read and what most people read on surface level is this, is it looks like, God, like Abraham is arguing with God, trying to say, God, I know you're angry, but calm down. This is not what's happening here. What's happening here is God is just. And you know what the scripture says? That God is a God of justice. And God even has wrath at times. But you know what the scripture says is that his mercy triumphs over his judgment. And what he desires, in Ezekiel it says that he looked for a man. He scanned the earth and he looked for someone that would stand in in the gap on behalf of their community. He said, I'm looking for somebody that will stand in the gap on behalf of Manchester and Clay County and Laurel County and Jackson County and this region and this state and this nation. I'm looking for one person that will stand in the gap so that I don't have to bring judgment upon the powers of darkness that are leading people astray that they've aligned themselves with and they'll fall under that same judgment. He said, I want somebody to stand in the gap. So it's not us pleading with God and begging God to change his mind. It's God aligning Abraham's heart with God's heart. He's saying, I never want to bring judgment in the first place. I want these people to be changed. I want these people to be transformed. And then in verse 22 through 25, you guys can come to the music. I'm going to finish here. It says, Then the men turned away from from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. I love it, see, because it's looking like he's wrestling with God, he's struggling with God in prayer. And sometimes that's what we have to do, but let me tell you something, it is God's desire. We know the character of God. He wants to bring salvation. Jesus said, I've not come into the world to destroy men's life, but to save them. But what he's asking you is, are you a friend of God? Will you come into that place of intimacy with him like Abraham did, where he will share with you his heart and show you what breaks his heart and say, will you stand in the gap for this person? Will you stand in the gap for your church? Will you stand in the gap for your pastor, for your friends, for your family? Will you pray and intercede so that my will would be done on earth as it is in heaven? Look, God wants His will done on earth as in heaven. He wants heaven to invade this place to some degree. And obviously, that's not going to happen in its fullness until Jesus comes back. But now He has given us a responsibility to be His friend, to share His burden, to stand in the gap and to pray. And the church has been given a responsibility that without our prayers, there are just some things that aren't going to happen. There are just some things that aren't going to happen without our prayers, without our ability to come into this intercession. See, these are four habits that I really believe God is saying, look, I've not called you servants, I've called you friends. You're not my slaves, I'm not lording it over you, I'm not trying to be coercive, 
I'm just inviting you to enter into this friendship with me. Trust me for greater things and greater ways. Lay aside some things and put these things into practice and develop a relationship with me, a friendship with me, and I'll share my heart with you. I'll show you things that you've never seen before. And when you see those things and I, and you share, share, and I share my heart with you, my love that I have for you is going to start to overflow to other people. You're going to start to think about things differently. You're going to start to care about things more. I want you to just bow your head where you're at for a minute. Now, maybe, maybe where you're at right now, you, you say, I just like to give people a chance to respond. And right now where you're at, maybe you don't have a relationship with God. You don't have a friendship with the Father. You didn't realize what salvation was and that Jesus died on the cross to, to give you forgiveness of sins, to give you a new life. Nobody's looking around right now, but if you say, look, I, I want to at least take a step to start this journey of faith. I want to put my, my faith in Jesus Christ, and I want to be forgiven of my sin. I want to have eternal life. I want to enter into that right now. Just lift your hand right now. Lift your hand right now and let me know. Say, say I want to do that. I want to start this process. I want to start this journey right now. Amen. Now, for the rest of you, I just want you to just evaluate what God is speaking to you right now in this moment. He's saying, look, I, I call you my friend. And I, there's things that I want to do through you. I want, to be, I want all the families of the earth to be blessed through you. And right now, maybe he's calling you to a place of intercession. To pray on behalf of our city, to pray on behalf of our family. And here's what he's saying to some people is he saying, those vultures have come down upon your promise and they have tried to bring fear and doubt and worry. And what I'm telling you is that the process is greater than the promise itself. Learn to embrace this process because I'm changing you in the process and I'm growing your faith and I'm making you stronger. So yield to that and trust me and know that I'm bringing these things to pass in your life. But would you enter into a time of intercession would you begin to pray for those other folks that don't have what you have, that don't have the relationship that you have? Let's pray together. Father, we pray right now. We lift these prayers up to you. And Father, we pray, God, that you would change our minds about these things, that these habits would be instilled in our life, God, that through this journey of faith, you would teach us your ways. You would teach us who you are. And you would cause us to, by faith, step in this direction. And begin to enter into greater things because I believe, God, that this year is a year where there's new beginnings. New things are happening. You're, giving, you're, you're bringing new things to life in us, but you're calling us deeper and you're asking us to take a step of faith. For some people, that is praying and reaching out to the lost. For some people, that is giving more than they've ever given, becoming generous. For some people, that's saying, you know what, I'm going to reach out to some of my neighbors. I'm going to enter into some intentional fellowship so that I can grow spiritually and I can grow with them. Now I'm going to hold on to the promises of God. I'm going to be in the Word of God every day. I'm going to be studying these things. Father, we ask you to put this stuff in us. And God, we pray on behalf of our city, our community. We, we need real transforming revival. We need your presence. We need to see souls saved. We need you to put a fire in our heart, God, where, where we'll burn and we'll go out for you every day of our lives. God, we're on this journey and we trust in you because we can't do it alone. Do it in us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.